0: Dedicated to Henry Farman. In the year of the primal from the, lord, the, lord, the of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and thought, man was the lord of the earth. He made him an oil skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, and man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam He harnessed the lightning for higher. He drove the celestial team of man. Was the
1: Well, 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 episode 78, my friends. This is Agitators Anonymous. I am Alan Averill, episode 78. Yes, indeed. And last week's episode with Jonas from Catatonia seems to have been so far one of the um, biggest, most popular episodes. Um, Already over a few thousand views on YouTube, which for a small YouTube channel like my own is pretty good. If you want to go over and take a look at that video, just put in Alan Averill, L into YouTube. Also, there's the Metal Salvage chats over there, which I'm doing with Joe from Gamma Bomb, which is just basically us getting a bit steamed, a bit boozed, a bit pissed, and talking about heavy metal. Speaking of the heaviest of metals, some of you will have noticed, really, I suppose, that in the last, um, let's say, four, six, seven, eight episodes... Um, I've been kind of moving away from some of the social, political commentary or talking about the pandemic, talking about lockdown, talking about all those things as it kind of felt we were all pretty weary of it. And I decided to pivot a bit back to music, to metal, to all those kind of things and maybe just give everyone a bit of a rest from dissecting what was happening um, around us during the Pandemic and all that kind of thing. But uh, this episode, I'm going to take a little bit of a step back into that, um, or at least try to have a little bit of a ramble across a few observations. Now that, let's say, the dust is settling, has not settled, or the fog is dissipating, dissolving. Does fog dissipate or dissolve? I'm not sure. I'll have to look that one up. But now that things are, well, let's just say, a little bit a little bit clearer. Um, We are not out of the woods yet, as they say. So um, I thought, uh, can I look back now on some of the things that I said, some of the proclamations, some of the opinions, Um, look back with a little less anger and frustration and irritation and all of those kind of things and all of the other drivers, the moods that were driving some of the old podcasts and examine what did I realistically get wrong? What did I get right? All of those kind of things and take a little bit of a look back and assess kind of where we are, maybe with a slightly calmer head. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, if you want to follow me on the Instagram, Nymphiango underscore primordial. Also, finally, primordial officially now has an Instagram page. It's just primordial underscore official. Um for years, I suppose, we just, well, it was just something we neglected. I had my own one and the realisation that I would just have to run another one um, just sort of broke my brain a little bit as um, we all try and grasp with the fact that we are more interconnected when our brain or some part of our brain is telling us you need to escape. You need to be posting less, have less screen time. But I just finally gave in. Some of the others have access to it as well. Whenever they can be bothered. But it would be great if you're into Primordial to go over and follow us there on Primordial Official. There'll be gig announcements. There'll be some competitions, some merch, this kind of thing. I, of course, do realise we are playing catch-up with everyone else, but that's just the way things go. If you want to listen to other podcasts and there's um, a kind of thriving community over on the Patreon, you can go there and join for as little as a dollar a month because I don't really understand how to work the tiers. (laughs) Etc. Um, yeah, there's discussions, book discussions, film discussions. It's actually pretty lively. It's pretty interesting. Um, and it's kind of like a little small community. Uh, sounds strange because I had a lot of misgivings before I started a Patreon. But then, as they say, needs must when the devil farts in your face. Um, And so when everything collapsed, it just became a sort of an evil necessity, or at least I felt it was one. Um, But actually, most of my misgivings have proved to be um, ill-founded, and it is actually uh, pretty cool. So there's other um, podcasts up there. Sometimes I post songs, rehearsals, alternate versions of songs of Dread Sovereign, of Primordial, of, um, you know, all sorts of things. So go over there and take a look. Patreon.com, Alan Averill. So... What prompted this little moment of reflection, I suppose? Well, a few things. Firstly, I came across an interview I did a year ago with Legacy magazine, mainly about pandemic and lockdown, and I just sort of examined the amount of um, anger and vitriol in my answers, and I sort of tried to then assess a year later where exactly we are, um, and what did I get right, what was just... Um, the sense of, I suppose, righteousness that was clouded by anger. Because, let's be honest, we've all... Let's be honest that one of the things that maybe is missing from some of our understanding of what happened in the last 20, 21 months is um, allowing people, as they say, the rope maybe, to um, hang themselves by their own petard of aggression and frustration because um, it really did drive us to the edge of sanity. So um, some of my proclamations of my opinions were driven that was the driving agency behind some of them and also you just don't quite know what's happening so how much was clouded by anger and how much was quite on the money and how much as most things i view in this world inhabit the gray area well let's get into it and have a look first things first i must say that um I've been getting lots of messages from lots of people about, yeah, I saw a gig in Budapest, a gig in Bucharest. There's 2G in Germany, 3G in Germany. Um, Apparently, the difference to that is gigs can happen um, at 2G, which means you don't need your mask inside. You can move around. 3G, you do. Um, People are telling me restrictions for this have been lifted, restrictions for that still in place. The band Dune just did an entire European tour and so um, Duncan from Dune is going to do a little kind of like a a tour report segment for me for next week and he's recording it um, hopefully as we speak. Come on, Duncan, get me that file. Um, And that's really interesting because they did a three-week tour. Um, Okay, it really seems to me that restrictions and rules are going to be um, very much down to even who's on the door, who the security is who's behind the bar, what bar it is, what area it's in, what street it's in, what city it's in, um, what country it's in. All of these things now are going to have to be taken into um, how you assess if you're going to uh, go to that gig or as a band you're going to be able to get there, all that kind of thing. But gigs are happening. Now, they're happening for bands who generally are pulling between 25, 50, and 150 people. But... Um, How that's going to work once we get into two, three, four, five hundred people, a little bit more money to be made, a little bit more security, a little bit more people looking at what's going on. But it seems to me that um, as a booking agent myself, um, I don't know if I really talk about that much, but um, for Dragon Productions, it's going to create an extra, how shall we say, you're going to have to have an eighth sense of which promoter is working with which club and how much they enforce these arbitrary bureaucratic rules uh, which I make no secret. Obviously, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll know my feelings about this arbitrary bureaucracy. And I say this when it comes to the backdrop of um, Ireland still having no gigs. Nothing has happened. Music is still outlawed fundamentally inside. Of course, I hear stories about people having raves and this and that and the other and somebody with an acoustic guitar meeting with a Uh, you know, a little tiny generator on a beachfront and all this kind of nonsense. Um, But still, no gigs here. And yesterday, um, as I speak, on the 14th, the 13th, our Tornishter, our Minister, Prime Minister, Leo, um, young Leo said that we uh, may keep restrictions past October the 22nd. They'd been aiming for October the 22nd, as this, let's call it, the release date. Um, to let society go back to something they claim to be normal. I always had my doubts and sure enough, 10 days beforehand, they're rattling their sabres or flying the kite or whatever you want to say it or testing public opinion for not allowing restrictions back. So it wouldn't surprise me to see the entertainment, arts, music, creative industry again thrown to the wolves and not allowed to reopen on October 22nd. I think it quite suits them to have no nighttime economy um, you know and I think that an awful lot of people in society have kind of got used to where it is now which is that it we have created a papers please society you need your VC passport to get indoors mostly unless of course you then return to what I said three minutes ago and you find uh, somebody who just gives you the old wink nod nod whatever that may mean you figure that out um, and so we've created this already and It feels to me that the state might just sacrifice once again um, whatever economy there is for young people um, or arts or entertainment or whatever they want, you know. And this seems to be the first thing that always gets um, curtailed. And, of course, they will say it's because X amount of people um, haven't been vaccinated and that it still poses a risk. But, of course, we all know it that... It is not just that, it is many other decisions as well. And of course, the intoxicating nature, the aphrodisiac of power itself necessitates through our understanding of history and human nature, which is inarguable that releasing the reins of power once you have a tight hold in them isn't easy and doesn't really happen. And anyone assuming that that's the natural state of things just hasn't really been thinking about any of these things really but what is alarming is the element of society who just have kind of gone well look it's okay like this you know have a few pints show your show your papers have a few pints get pissed a bit earlier home by 12 pizza on the couch Netflix yep okay cool ah, look there's people on the street what do you want it's over anyway so what am I talking about let's have a little discussion about a little ramble through I've got a few pages and notes they're not in any particular order But I'm going to try and maybe assess what I got wrong, what I got right, if I can manage to do that. Those of you who know me might find it a little bit um, amusing and unusual that I may may, um, concede (laughs) some ground to what I got wrong. But let's have a look, you know. Um, What are my talking points in episode 78? Well, first of all, in episode 1, 2, I'm talking about biometric electronic passports with which you gain access to society. And no one can tell me that I haven't really been bang on the money when it comes to that. Now, of course, this uh, this podcast is not some form of aggrandization of my um, understanding of the nature of power, but certainly an awful lot of people who I suppose are not maybe students of history or authoritarianism or fascinated by all of the elements within the, that Um I think, underestimated um, how disaster, let's call it disaster capitalism or disaster authoritarianism or the um, overreach of all of the the triumvirative um, tech, state and health were going to impose themselves into your, or insert themselves into every modality of your life. And I think that while the vaccine passports are not exactly that, they certainly are um, well you have an electronic passport which gains you access to at least in Dublin, in Ireland um, going inside uh, if you want to socialise if you want to have um, you know go to a pub or a restaurant or something like this or a museum and so um, this is an incredibly dangerous uh, um, it's a dangerous power to grant state and institutions because if say for example um the virus is reduced to naught um, and dis- disappears from society, as Sam Harris would say, drive it to extinction. If it is, does that mean that these powers are going to, um, let's say, you know, scupper this app, sink it below the waterline, and say, okay, you don't need those anymore because we've defeated this problem? Does anybody really in their right minds think that the nature of power gives up power once it's attained it? I would say. If you think that, then you are rather naive and you don't really understand history. And have a rather um, massive misreading of the situation because that ain't going to happen. All you have to do is really take one look at what's happening in Australia with track and trace apps, the state calling people, asking them for facial recognition of where they're supposed to be, all these kind of things. And you can see it taken to its furthest extreme. And the worrying thing about what they represent is that the technology... Um, to the technology, or it's not even the technology exists. The state of affairs already exists within China, that we have, um they have a, a social currency system, whereby, you look, you know that this already exists. So it's not like as if that um, that state of being is something that we can see um, in the distant or not too distant future as to be materialized. It already is here. And so we have to ask, are, are, are our states moving towards that kind of future? Because if we're talking about people's um, economy being almost fully online, their work being fully online, the idea, um, if you take the old medieval square in any small town, being, this is where trade happened, this is where um, the religious men and women stood on their soapboxes and uh, which I guess is where the phrase comes from, and preached to those gathered. It was where the church tower viewed the square. It was um, the place where the town came to do its business. If that represents, now in modern terms, the internet and your electronic passport is um, is your entrance to that area of trade, the fact that it could just be switched off Arbitrarily for a transgression by state and tech, which might include, for example, this podcast. Perhaps saying this in an authoritarian state would get me into trouble. And anybody who thinks that that is not a potentiality um, is not really understanding the nature of um, democracy or authoritarianism. I did a podcast called, um, you know, democracy is not the default setting of society, and it isn't. Now, I've had many people go, go, ah, Alan, you're just, you know, you're, the, you're doom-mongering and um, it won't happen here. And to that, I have to say, really? Because history is on my side, which states that the struggle between the 99% and the 1% has been ongoing for hundreds of years. And I've said that this moment could represent a revolution by the 1% against the 99%. And anyone who thinks that a massive transfer of wealth and power hasn't occurred... To grant that 1%, whether it's state, um, you know, state technocracy um, or big tech oligarchy, whatever you want to call it, if those two words go together, again, I think is a naive misreading of history. And I understand that people are fatigued and wary with this and they just want to get back to living and get back to normal stuff. And they have a modicum of it now. So maybe that placates them to a certain degree. But what vaccine passports potentially represent is the ability for um, institutions of state tech governance and authority to literally um, unperson you unfriend you from your ability to earn a living from your ability to um, have you know to freely state your political aims don't forget freedom of speech is a cornerstone of Western civilization it's a cornerstone should be one of the cornerstones of um, all civilization. It should be something that we fight for. It should be something that is recognized as an inalienable human right, but it seems that that is something that has kind of gone by the wayside and in a very dangerous way because we can see huge big tech censorship over the debate. I mean, we have now created a Papers, Please Society, whereby you have to show a paper to get into a place. And for people in Western Europe, doesn't this remind you of the worst... Um, stories, bureaucratic stories from the former East and if you somehow um, look up to those institutions of the former East then you must ask yourselves why did uh, the common people in those areas rebel? Why was there a fall of the Berlin Wall if you're busy flying a hammer and sickle in your avatar? Maybe you need to take a little trip to Eastern Europe and ask people there how was it living under Ceausescu or Tito or whoever else, um, Brezhnev, I don't know, and listen carefully to their answer. Um, However, this, of course, is just mostly performative. However, if we are going to make or I am going to make spurious East-West commentary, um, what you have to realise is that for the implementation of such a sort of papers, please, society, you need a vast civil state apparatus who is connected to the um, forms of authoritarianism, whether it is the Stasi or the fact that what what they say, one in four, one in five people in East Germany were connected to the state. And you need people to be, um, you know, snitching on each other. You need people to be watching each other. You need to create uh, a sort of um, internal surveillance society, a paranoid society who is watching everyone else, which you can see there is an attempt by the media to do that in the divide and conquer strategy of framing Um, Those who are unvaccinated as, you know, almost like social pariahs or lepers or murderers in some quarters. And you can see this is a a kind of ongoing media theme. Um, But what you need is a massive state apparatus. And I've said this before, having done some traveling, is that if the New World Order's, um, the New World Order, Goose Step, is, you know, if Ryanair employees are marching at the forefront of that, well, then, again, what we're dealing with is mainly a kind of ham-fisted bureaucratic chaos and not the furthest reaches of either diametric polarized argument. And that's what I've been trying to preach throughout, trying to preach, trying to say throughout the almost 80 episodes of this is that the truth is grey. I'm, in a sense, politically homeless. I don't belong to either polarized side, left or right, in my opinion. um, I am... Um, very much entrenched in the idea that skepticism is the only rational perspective on every single thing. And so therefore you question everything. And that's just what I've been trying to do. So to question the validity of, uh, you know, electronic passports and what it represents for liberty and freedom is of course going to be my stance. Some people just see it as like, ah, look, it's just handy. And, you know, you also may be right. It may not be um, you know, the the forerunner to some form of um, new social Stasi um, enterprise at the behest of um, big tech, as I said, m- uh, you know, d- monopolies. But it certainly does represent, I think, a very serious infringement on civil liberties, um, which somehow have become an alt-right or right issue. How that happened, I don't know. Liberty, libertarianism. Libertarianism means a different thing in Um, the USA to Europe, by the way, I may add, if you are listening in America, if we look at traditional libertarianism, egalité, fraternité, liberté, it's enshrined within the um, three defining words of the French Republic. But what I mean is that um, the application is very much left to individuals. And in a society like, say, Ireland, which is not traditionally authoritarian um, unless you count the Catholic Church but it's not, you know, traditionally if you're leaving um, the decision up to the guy at the door a bouncer at the door of whether people are in and out unless they're going to get fined or there's some sort of pressure or other it's the kind of thing that's just going to slip and slide and you do wonder if the um, if the uh, application of this is just going to fall by the cultural, social wayside as people just go, ah, that thing again um, because it's going to be hard to scare people into that without the um, massive social state apparatus but you know maybe that's done and I underestimate it certainly I will say that travelling lately few people if any ask for anything from anyone anymore um, hence my um, Ryanair eulogy anyway yes well, what else are we going to talk about? What else do I ramble across? Are we still in a form of lockdown? I would say yes. Um, a long time ago, the um, you know the levels of one to five, sort of nobody, people stopped talking about it. I think that was deliberate in order for people to just get used to this new modern way of living and accept that they would li- be living in a form of one or two. Personally, I think stating that we aren't in a, for- a form of lockdown, you may disagree, that's okay, of lockdown, Um, lets the authorities away with riding roughshod over um, what those things meant. And still in Ireland, as I said, you know, by midnight the city is empty, there's a form of curfew, there's still no music allowed inside. Um, And so, for me, those are still forms of the elements, the expressions of lockdown. And I think that every country is dealing with varying degrees of it. As we enter winter, are they going to move backwards, forwards? Most politicians are making noises, of course, like... um, well, you know, don't be so sure, careful, sort of careful now type. Oh, that's a terrible, sorry, Father Ted. Sorry, Dermot Morgan, for invoking your name in such an unfunny way. Um, but certainly lockdown is still happening in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, a lot of the Anglosphere countries. We can see um, that. And it seems that the naught percent people, at least here, maybe slightly look and recoil in a sense of vague horror at the, of what's unfolding in Australia going yeah you guys are giving us a bad name maybe by some of the things that you're doing because don't forget that Australia has i think 1.5 deaths per day i think average over the last couple of months so it's a, it's 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 purely about well look to me from the outside it looks like about it's about authoritarianism and A whole lot of other social factors moving on the inside of that country that maybe are a little bit difficult for us to understand from here. But anyway, it looks grim. It looks grim. However, quietly, Sweden has had almost no deaths in the last three months. So did they get it right? I think you could say they did. I personally, I would say they did. They managed not to take people's freedoms and liberties um, they took a little hit at the start, but if you look at the league table, I think they're in the you know, bottom half when it comes to debts. So were they vindicated? Um, I would say yes. Um, you know, and I also thought that the way some countries and some sections of the media almost wanted them to fail to be a very strange signifier of an odd trait of human nature that bubbled to the surface that even sort of surprised me during the pandemic. I mean, a simple thing, another simple observation was that when all of this started in the first few podcasts, I said, this is not going to, this is not going away. And people, many people last summer said, Akama oh, come on, we'll be fine by September. And here we are still in a form of, as I said, lockdown, in a form of restrictive society. So, no, it hasn't really gone anywhere. Are we entering, as I sort of gravely said, the age of pandemics? Hard to say, but it certainly seems that once you've let you've opened pandora's box you've let the genie out of the bottle um i find it very hard to see how we don't deal with other situations um with lockdown or more restrictive measures and they, people have been sort of um you know softened up now this was like the uh, the first morning military barrage before you get the big guns maybe who knows hopefully not hopefully this is just a fading memory and it's moving um you know it's it's receding in our rearview mirror And we can get back to... I don't think we'll ever get back to complete normality, whatever that means, but we'll get back to the levels of um, freedom and liberty we had before. Oh, Alan, stop talking about freedom and liberty, blah, 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 blah. How did those things become dirty words? I find really fascinating. And how normal people advocated for um, censorship and free speech laws. And also what I found really fascinating was... I posted a few things just about Pfizer's profit margin and people called me an anti-VC or you can't really say those words. Um, Really? So all of a sudden, um, people who, let's say 10 years ago, would have been on the side of people during the Occupy movement for their rightful, I think, observation of what the 1% represented and whether it was the banking system or all those kind of systems of oppression are now defending big pharma. Uh, did you forget what side uh, of history you you were on? Did you forget you were in the ninety nine percent or whatever you want to call it? Did you forget that these are the huge um you know multinational companies that really don't give a f about your well being? How did that turn on its head that normal um you know sense making once sense making individuals ended up in the corner? Of the multinationals, but that's what we found. That's what we found. I, I received those messages myself, and I said, "Wow, you can't even you can't even mention <laughs> a thirty seven billion profit margin for being accused of, um, you know, being uh, Trumpist or whatever." And I think that was part of it. The Trump derangement syndrome is just something that really hangs over society, and it validated all sorts of responses to anything, because it it, it he just. Um, he exploded, or you want to call it detonated, the middle ground whereby um, either side of a polarized debate felt they had to um, cross, you know, shake hands over the divide and sit down at the same table. He just basically, the gloves were off. And especially on elements of the mainstream media, it just seemed that any questioning, any skepticism, um, just then placed you into the arms of the extreme right, for example, which makes no sense, of course, because um, it should be your place to have questions, to be sceptical. Certainly, um, if we're going to remove our um, right to ask questions of impositions of state tech on authority and um, health impositions and what your, are um, you know, what the state and health officials are health Officials, health structures are going to do with your children, for example. Well, then we're on a pretty dark path, but I think we're on that pretty dark path already. So, yeah, I think we are still in a form of lockdown. I asked somebody in Australia about that. I will say that my prognosis about live music and travel, um, I think, were maybe too negative, because live music is certainly coming back. Um, uh, tours are happening in America I'm pretty much um, open tours. A lot of European countries, people messaging me from Budapest, Copenhagen, Bucharest, Stockholm, saying, yeah, we went to see a band. 100, 200 people. Things are moving back. Venues are back open. Um, And that's great that the music industry has come from like, you know, basically from being almost completely KO'd to at least now on its knees. Now, whether it can get to its feet remains to be seen. But it's great hearing positive news from everybody all across um, well, all across the world, most of the world, and, and Europe and America and stuff about shows happening, gigs happening again, people being able to return to art, music, culture, um, to return to all those kind of things. And it's not just about having a few pints and this, that and the other. Um, a world without live music or music in this sense is a very dark and grim world already. And that's something we don't need to hand over to systems of um, to the, you know, to the arbitrary flick of a switch or a pen of some um, jumped up middle management health official who decides whether we can or cannot have the communion of live music, et etc. et cetera. It's, I've made it very clear which side of the, di- of the divide I stand on. Um, and so it's great news to hear all these coming back. Like I said, nothing has happened here. Um, I, I think we're as I we're not quite a lost cause, and my prognosis of a, a winter of no music or no art or culture or um, you know public expressions of those um, are now seeming like um, you know a bit too negative. But we still aren't there yet. But it's great to see. Um, for example, even with Red Sovereign, we're going on a small tour in the UK next week, and theoretically. I mean i uh, I never count my chickens until I'm actually about to set foot on the stage, so to speak, but it looks like it can happen now what might what happens when we get the new monster energy variant or whatever I say that because I'm sitting in front of a can of blue ultra blue monster energy, not just blue ultra blue, whatever that means um, and so we could get a new we could get something else that you know pushes live music back into the um, the horror of uh, the live stream once again but it looks like there might be um, like the fog is clearing at least in live music and travel also the last few times I've travelled airports have been packed um, all seats have been taken people have been moving again um, and that for me at least is great to see uh, that people are um, are stepping over the boundaries of you know fear and the things they've been inculcated with the last twenty months, and they're going well. Look, we better, we need to get on with living, etc. Especially coming from an island. Um, now you may disagree about elements of that, and of course, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, I'm not going to get into the, <laughs> I suppose the climate debate in related to that just yet. Might do that in another podcast. What else can I see um, in my page of random scribbled notes here? Um, I mean, do I get into um, activism? I think in the first month or two, some of us thought that the level of uh, activism, I suppose you want to call it, or social agitation that was happening in society, identity politics, might just take a rest because... The concept of a a virus which we did not know how of its lethality um, that it might just you know the arms might be put down for a while but in fact what we saw was an acceleration of that because everyone was at the um, everyone was behind their screen just taking in even more information our lizard brain which is constantly being poked and we got more angry more polarized Um, and I guess this was when you really sat back and thought about it um, an inevitability Uh, which a lot of us got wrong for the first one or two months because it seemed like there was a a sort of a communality of purpose, at least in society as people pulled together, but how quickly that fell apart. Um, And so now we're, you know, we're reaching some crazy stages. I mean, I only the other day was reading about, um, you know, a court sitting in England about... Judging, how can we call it? The consent of 10 year olds, as you know, in relation to their um, parents' wishes. Hey, pretty dark stuff when you're debating uh, the consent of 10 year olds. In my opinion, if you believe in Santa Claus, you shouldn't really be allowed to um, challenge these things. Or at least make decisions that will, um, you know, impinge upon the rest of your life however but we're not going to get into that was the World Economic Forum the bogeyman that we all thought they were remains to be seen it's hard to say they've gone pretty quiet but you know people were spending so much time online Um, it really empowered the loudest elements of the polarised elements of society Um, they still make proclamations you know Klaus Schwab still um, has his Dr. Evil vibe going on, maybe he got a new jacket I don't know, they seem to have dropped out of a bit of the public conversation, now is that perhaps that they got certain things that they wanted or was it just the talk shop that maybe we alluded to it's hard to say again throughout this whole thing um, I've tried to hold the line between either side of the debate and the the grey areas where most things reside um, and the fact that if this was some huge, huge worldwide conspiracy, it would involve so many working parts as to make it unworkable. And so the reality is, is it just um, part incompetence, part um, failure of institutions? Um, is it just the fumbling in the dark of human nature erring on the side of never-ending caution? It's about the avoidance by the political class of um, risk, because they're in the re-election cycle, all of these kind of things. It's it's so many things that it makes it almost impossible to untangle. Moving through my random messy notes here, I found it quite incredible the amount of apologism. Apologism is that a word? The apologies that were granted to the CCP. Um, you know the the amount of opprobrium heaped on people who dared to question the pangolin narrative, let's say, from 20 months ago. You were screamed at, you were shut down, you were censored, and now we, all we have to do is look at Fauci taking the stand, more or less admitting um, you know what happened. And still cling. people cling to the idea that the lab leak hypothesis is some sort of alt-right conspiracy, um, where just a little bit of investigating would you know would you can see Fauci on the stand discussing this um, you only have to do a little bit of digging to go right something's not correct with this narrative but yet questioning that narrative places you um, in firmly in Trumpistan and how can that be that the people placing you there are unwilling to think about question the motives of again big pharma of of big state of Let's also be clear, the CCP, you know, the amount of people I've said to, well, this is the same party that, um, you know, the same party that uh, presided over the Great Leap Forward. What's the Great Leap Forward? Well, maybe you should have a look at that. How quickly we forgot Hong Kong. Um, how quickly we forgot, oh, we forgot Tiananmen and all these other transgressions against liberty. And also because our political systems in the West are um, flawed. You know, they're like a, like a, like a precarious um deck of cards or you no know, you know house of cards um politicians are in the election cycle they have their own personal risk they have their own personal um issues in the sense that don't exist in china because it's one party state that is not um born of the re-election process so therefore they can plan for 5 10 15 20 30 40 however many years you want whereas our systems can't and so, therefore, it's our, therefore, ours are more fragile, which was brutally exposed in the pandemic. Um, and how odd it was to see people twisting and turning to try and um, reframe the narrative to place um, a, an authoritarian regime um, in this sunny uplands of, I suppose, um, liberal optimism, if that's the right f- way to say it and the abdication by the mainstream media of its responsibility to hold power to account. Um, I suppose once upon a time the media was, uh, let's say, you know, or elements of the mainstream media were outside the tent pissing in and their attempt was to hold power to account. They weren't or didn't aspire to be like the political class that they were writing about. Now I sense the opposite is true, that many people writing in the mainstream media quite want to be inside the tent, um, hobnobbing with the people who make these political decisions. We made... Um, rock stars of our health officials. We handed over power of over liberty and freedom to unelected health officials who never, in my opinion, quite counted the social cost of their actions um, and what were their links to, for example, the very big farm I discussed prior to this. Again, everything is so complicated and so intertwined and the truth is so grey. And Throughout these 78, 79 episodes, I've had to wonder about the wisdom of, you know, putting out some of these opinions there because it's certain it will affect the music that I make or the people who like the band and go, I liked that, I liked Primordial before, he said this, that, and the other. But I would say that we must try and consider the terms of freedom of speech, rationality, um, the ability that we once had to be able to hold open discourse with opposing points of view. I think I've been tried to hold the line tried to hold the line somewhere in the middle and I don't belong to either side but if anything the last you know to kind of sum up because this is part one of a part two look at some of these things what we've seen clearly is how much of life is performative whether it's from the political class to the media class to even in our own daily life how much of it is performative it's like as if the pandemic stripped back a few um Veils. let's say, pull the curtains past a bit and we got to look clearly at the cogs whirring, the machine whirring um, and how much of it really is Emperor's New Clothesism, if you want to say it like this. How much of society, how much of things are performative? How much of um, all of these leaked messages? Even the yesterday I was listening to Jocko Willing's podcast and they were discussing Biden's leaked phone call memos to um the Afghan fleeing Afghani president and they were just, how do we make this look a certain way? Even though we both know what's gonna happen. Um and that just sort of sums everything up. The performative nature of modern society. But but underneath, underneath it are some very dark undercurrents of um authoritarianism which now seem to be in the ascendancy um in the former I suppose not the former, but in Western society, which had freedom and liberty as its core values. And those, I think, it's not um, a stretch to say that those are um, under some form of existential threat and very real threat. Of course, I can always just say, and it's true, I'm just a singer in a heavy metal band. I'm not a politician or an epidemiologist or whatever else. And if you disagree with the things I'm saying, that's all right. That's fine. That's the nature of this discourse that should be um, taken in good faith that I'm the singer in a heavy metal band and these are just my ramblings on my podcast. Um, So, to sum up so many things, they are going to be a part two of this. We saw how little music and art was worth. We certainly saw that that was the first thing to be sacrificed and how little it meant. But you know what? A performative life. I think that's my Takeaway is how I suppose, um, with a certain uh, horror, I viewed um, perhaps how little sometimes freedom and liberty seemed to mean, or freedom of speech seemed to mean, and how willing how willing people were to trade that away for a sort of state and health-sanctioned, um, how shall we call it, security, as defined by those institutions etc etc it's a ramble it's a ramble i'll get back to music next time if you don't like these kind of podcasts well you know tune in next week it'll probably be a completely different off-the-cuff ramble but i thought it might be interesting to just look back at some of those things Um, as they say your average man doesn't want freedom he wants security anyway jp mencken did i get that right I suppose I should think about quoting people. H.R. Mencken, J.P. Mencken, who knows? Sorry if I got (laughs) your first name and initials wrong. But anyway, the dust isn't settled. The fog is not cleared. It seems to be clearing. And again, the truth, my friends, is that most things reside in the grey area between either of those realities. My friends, this is Agitators Anonymous. It's an all-over-the-place ramble about all things um, lockdown and pandemic-related and how things have been for the last 20, 21 months. Um, I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. Selling a little or a lot?